And then when he says that to make a way of escape, uh, we know that that isn't just talking about running from problems because he says that you may be able uh, to bear it. Uh, one of the, one of the thing I need to do this morning is, is uh, correct something I said last week. Uh, I said last week that, some t- that uh, the word uh, be able to bear it would be, could be used in lightening the ship that we, and we looked at a passage in, in Acts where uh, they threw some things overboard and I said that sometimes we just need to throw some things out of our life. Well, that may be true, uh, but and not being diligent in uh, the references that I had and the guy that I was taking some comments from, there's uh, in uh, the uh, study of uh, words, uh, in the Strong's Dictionary or Strong's Concordance, they're numbered and the guy, <laughs> And the guy missed it by one number, and actually, it doesn't mean to lighten. Uh, and so, when that reference to Acts, it wasn't uh, it wasn't this word that we have here that that uh, you may be able to bear it. Nevertheless, <clears throat> God will enable us to overcome some things, and nevertheless, sometimes we need to eliminate some things out of our lives, and. Uh, but the word I gave you didn't support that. So uh, if you're checking up on me, uh, you, you will have saw that. And if you're not checking up on me, you need to. The Bereans said uh, they searched the, day, the scriptures daily to see if what they were told were true. And so this morning I want to uh, go a little bit further in this idea of problem solving and uh, point out <clears throat> some repetition we've already said, but also uh, to introduce some new things. <clears throat> Before we can solve a problem, as, as we said last week, there needs to be an admission that there is a problem. <clears throat> uh, I know that when we go about life and we pass someone and say, how you doing? And we say, okay, I'm doing good, I'm doing good. And it's kind of common for us as a, as a hello, you know, buenos dias, good day, uh, that, that we just say, yeah, I'm, I'm doing good, hello, I'm doing good. <clears throat> but that can move over into reality. And when we're going through serious difficulties, uh, and problems, we don't always want to admit that we're having a problem. And, and the only way to deal with a problem is to acknowledge it, that we can't just smooth it over. It's not going to go away. And so one of the first steps, whether it's a problem as a result of sin or it's a, it's a trial that's coming into our lives, we need to uh, acknowledge that, and particularly, we'll probably focus more this morning on the area of sin. We know that until a person can admit that he's a sinner and in need of a savior, that he'll never overcome the problems that's going to come into his life. And so, there's a, a need to acknowledge 
the seriousness of violating God's law, the seriousness of the problems, <clears throat> because sin always reaps. And as someone has said that we reap what we sow, <clears throat> uh, we reap later than we sow, and we, re- reap, we reap more than we sow. And so as the farmer <clears throat> would sow his seed into the ground, whether it's alfalfa seed or wheat or some form of grain, <clears throat> that, that, that that reaping is going to come later in the year, <clears throat> and it's going to become more in the year. That, that one seed of grain can produce a head of grain that may have 40, 60, maybe 100 grains in it. And so, so it is with the law of sowing and reaping with sin, <clears throat> that we may not reap immediately, <clears throat> but we're going to reap later than we sow, and we're going to reap what we sow, and we're going to reap more than we sow. I think we have a good example of that when David <clears throat> spoke uh, about the consequences in his own personal life when he had sinned uh, with uh, the adultery with Bathsheba. And <clears throat> he used this words. Uh, he said, uh, <clears throat> when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was hit upon me, my moisture is turned into drought of summer. <clears throat> the sinner, the lost man, doesn't really struggle with sin. <clears throat> he commits sin, it's going to reap in the end, uh, but everybody's doing it, you know. You know, I've just followed my natural instincts. But when a Christian sins, there's going to be an effect of that. And David used those words in Psalms 32 when he talked about how that when he kept silent and didn't deal with his sin and admit his sin, that his body, his bones waxed old. And there was a roaring day and night in his spirit that there was never a peace in his heart with the sin. And then he acknowledged that God's hand was heavy upon him, and uh, 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 and my moisture is turned to a drought of summer. And so, in a sense, if we'd use today's language, uh, David's sin, his problems were eating his lunch. And we have a good uh, indication of, of that. Uh, if you go with me to Second Samuel, uh, chapter 12, where David had sinned with Bathsheba. <clears throat> and we find in 2 Samuel chapter 12 <clears throat> the, the narrative of this event when Nathan comes and challenges him. In 2 Samuel 12 and verse 1, And the Lord said to Nathan, being his prophet, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said to him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought up and nursed up, and it grew up together with him and and with his children. It did eat of his own meat 
uh, meat meaning uh, food, not uh, not real uh, flesh, and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And so he had a pet sheep. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was to come unto him. And so the custom in the Middle East was when a stranger came, you fed them and took them in your house. But took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was to come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that have done this thing shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Well, you find over in Exodus chapter 22 and verse 1 that the law is for restoration when something was stolen. And it clearly said in Exodus 22, 1, that if a sheep was stolen, that it was to be replaced fourfold. And David was right on that. He had, he had that correct. But, but uh, he uh, was wrong when he said, the man that doeth that have done this thing shall surely die. What's going on? Well, David's disturbed. David's under conviction. David has sin in his life that's unconfessed. And it's, and it's eating at him. And he becomes very judgmental. He becomes very quick in saying that he should die. No place in the Bible does it say that a man should forfeit his life for taking that which is not his. But it's just a manifestation of our own lives when we're not dealing with sin problems in the right way. That we, we become very irritable. We become very quick uh, tempered, we become very judgmental, and and this was never this was never dealt with and never cured until we come to Psalms 51. If you go over there with me, we're talking about dealing with problems. You know why are we doing the things that we're doing? Why are we acting the way that we're acting? And sometimes it is because we've not upfront acknowledged that there is a problem that that there's no problem with me, it's just everybody else. But David, when he comes to Psalms 51, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the mode to thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. And so here we have the key for dealing with problems that flow out of sinful behavior that we've not confessed. I acknowledge my transgressions. He said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. To acknowledge that our sin is primarily against the Lord. And done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. And so he said, Lord, uh, whatever you do, you're just in that, because I am guilty. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and sinned, and my mother conceived me. 
Behold, thou art truth in inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide my face from my, my sins. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. And then he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You see, uh, if we don't respond to problems, sinful problems, particularly in the right way, we're not going to have a clean heart. And we're not going to have the right spirit. There's something wrong with our spirit. There's something wrong with, with our nature. There's something wrong with what we're doing. And, it's, and it can be traced back numerous times in our lives to sin and sinful behavior that we are not dealing with in a proper way. And so the, the first point is just that there needs to be an omission, there needs to be a confession, and then to, be, to, to deal with that. Now, there, there, are, there are two enemies to, to dealing with sinful problems. Uh, one is rationalization. that we rationalize our behavior. And the second is we, we try to, we cover it up. And we want to look at a couple of examples of that this morning. You see, uh, it's pretty easy to say, yeah, I did that, but you don't know what was happening to me. Rationalizing. Making an excuse. Uh, someone said that uh, the excuse is the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. To rationalize means to excuse it, uh, to give other explanations. Uh, thinking of a good reason or excuse why it's okay to think or act or believe the way that we're doing. Go over to... Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, and we have a classic example of rationalizing in 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel 15, And beginning in verse 1, Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. And so in the exodus of Egypt, Amalek gave Israel a hard time. Now go and smite Amalek. And you'll find, you know, that may be a problem for some, this, this mean, vicious God. But if you read other places, it says that, the, that God hadn't dealt with them because the iniquity was not yet full. God had given chance after chance, and now their iniquity has filled up. God's tired of it. He said, now go and smite Amalek in order to destroy all that they have and spare them not. 
But slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. The reason we have a problem with this, people have a problem with this, because they don't like to admit that <laughs> they're going to be judged too. That God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God's mercy had been extended to where he was through with it. And Saul, verse 4, And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them, and Telaim, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came into a city of the Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said unto the Kenites, Go, depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. And you'll find that the study of the Kenites is an interesting study, but they way back had been favorable to Israel. And Saul says, get, get, out, get out of here because there's going to be a slaughter. Lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, the best of the, spared Agag, and the best of his sheep, the sheep, and of the oxen, of the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse that they destroyed utterly. And so we find uh, a difference here in what was given in verse 3, go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not, but slay both man and women, infant and suckling. Yet he spared Agag, and he spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. Partial obedience is not ever obedience. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose early, uh, let me just comment on verse 11. Uh, I'm afraid that we've lost our ability to weep when our people sin. And maybe that's where we're at as a nation. May God give us the ability to weep over sin. And so he goes down to Gilgal, and when Samuel rose early the next and to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel. Behold, he set him up a place, and he's gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. 
And so he says, I did what you told me to do. And then he's going to rationalize him. And Samuel said, what meaneth then the bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? If you did what I told you to do, why are these animals out here bawling? And Saul said, they have, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said unto him, Stay on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, and thou made the head of the tribes of Israel, the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. And the Lord has sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and I have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. And the people took the spoils, sheep and oxen, the chief things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. Well, he's adamant that he's done the Lord's will. And he begins to rationalize. He said, the people took them. Not me. I mean, they had a good idea. You know, we should keep these to sacrifice to the Lord. It was the people. And, he's, and so his response is one of rationalizing. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Anything that is not 100% obedience is rationalizing and it's disobedience. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. And so we find that there's no substitute when we're dealing with problems there's no substitute for obedience. That obedience, obedience, obey, is what's necessary. And then we have a shocking statement. We're talking about dealing with problems. I think we all could think of examples of people who are out of God's will, and they're the most active in church. You can be very, very active. You know, I, I, we brought all this to sacrifice to the Lord. This was for the Lord. What we're doing is for the Lord. And the Lord says, oh, no, what we need to do is obey. Problems will not go away without obedience. There'll never be peace in our heart by activity. It's got to be obedience. There's no substitute. And then he says in verse 23, 
For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is an iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected thee from being king. Rebellion is going to cause us to lose some opportunities. Rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. Witchcraft. Satanic. All the time here he's saying, you know, I did it for the Lord. But in reality, it was satanic. And so we find rationalization a very real thing today. We have, <clears throat> we have many, many teaching uh, the disease model for behavior. That is, I'm addicted to alcohol. Now, I'm not saying that alcohol doesn't have an effect upon your body, but to drink alcohol is a choice. Drunkenness is not a problem of uh, disease. Alcoholism is a product of sinful behavior. I'm addicted to drugs, and no one's saying that Drugs cannot affect you physically. But we enter into the druggy world by making a choice, a sinful choice. And wrong choices are going to affect us in a wrong way. There are those who, who uh, use the disease model to excuse sex. Wrong sexual behavior. I'm addicted to sex. I can't help cheating on my wife. I can't help fornicating. I had a church member one time told me that one t once, once a young man has, has uh, experienced fornication, that he'll have problems with the rest of his life, that he'll, he'll, he'll be difficult when uh, sin is sin. All sin, <laughs> I mean, all, all sin is difficult to deal with, but we say no. Not only is it the disease model, but rationalization also comes from the victim. The victim rationalization. Saul could have said, well, it's not really not my fault because I was head and shoulders above all other men in Israel. Uh, I needed to do more because more is expected of me. And so I brought all these animals to sacrifice. We hear things like this. I can't help the way I am because I didn't have a father growing up. Neither did Timothy. I can't help the way I am because I have PMS today. 
I can't help the way I am acting because I was molested as a child. All these serious things, but not things that need to dominate our lives. I can't help the way I am because my buddy died in my arms during the Vietnam War. Trauma. Yet the Bible says we can do all things through Christ which strengthens us. I can't help the way I'm acting. Do you know the woman that I'm living with? Or the man that I'm living with? I can't help the way I'm acting. Do you know that my boss, the boss I have to work for? But our text said, there's no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above that you're able, but make a way of escape. That... <clears throat> that this omission of a problem, sinful problem, cannot be rationalized by the disease model or the victim model. Let me give you a shocking statement here. But you are going to be held accountable for your sin. Now, the second way we try to deal with sin is to cover it up. You remember we, we read a little bit there about David and Nathan, but David, when he sinned with Bathsheba, he uh, wanted to cover it up. And he went about <laughs> some very deceitful things. He wanted, to, he wanted uh, uh, Bathsheba's husband to come home from the battlefield and lie with his wife and make it look like that she was pregnant uh, by him. He, uh, he never said anything. Uh, after <clears throat> he married her, he just kept it under the, under the cover and uh, covered it up. Didn't want anybody to know. But uh, the Bible says something very shocking. Be sure your sins will find you out. We may cover it up to all the world, uh, but God's going to take the cover off of it. And, and uh, it's kind of like, you know, we just ground some hamburger up from moose, and it's kind of like, you know, some of the hamburger fell on the floor, and if we swept that and, put, and swept that meat under the rug, uh, eventually it's going to start rotting, and eventually it's going to start smelling, and eventually it's going to fill the whole house with a putrid smell. You can't cover up sin without it eventually stinking and affecting you. And so, a cover-up. We try to cover it up. But the Lord is waiting and willing to forgive. God is faithful. Wherefore, let him that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of his soul to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. 
And so God is faithful. But here's where the real problem comes. Is that when we're having problems, and it's because of sin, this ability to admit that you're wrong is constantly being uh, challenged by by our pride. Nearly 100% of people aren't helped overcome the problems that are resulting out of a sinful life because of their pride. We want to maintain our dignity, I guess. Pride. All the uh, the lost days of fellowship and the uh, the rough days of life are because of pride. It's right where. Uh, the source of restoration or continued destruction is at the crisis point. Crisis meaning it's going to turn one way or the other. And many times there's not a creating of a new heart Restoring the joy of my salvation. It doesn't come about because of one issue. Pride. And I can tell you um, that I am a proud person. And so are you. But let us not forget that the Bible says God resisteth the proud. I'm wanting to get my act together. I'm wanting to get back on solid footing. I'm wanting to, you know, have a joy back in my life. I want to have this purpose and meaning. I want to have direction. I want peace. But it eludes me. And it eludes me. And I read my Bible but it eludes me. I become more faithful in, in activity, but it eludes me. And the reason is because uh, I've not admitted it. I've rationalized, I've covered it up, and at the core of that is pride. A high look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked is sin. 
Proverbs says, These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination in him. And the very first one it mentions is a proud look. 1 Peter 5, 5 that we just mentioned is uh, God resisteth the proud but gives grace to the humble. Paul says, by the grace of God I am what I am. And the reason he could say that is because he humbled himself before the Lord. Look over in Jeremiah chapter 43. Jeremiah is a prophet that wrote during the time of his kingdom, Judah, going into captivity underneath the Babylonians. see if this is what I want. Okay, we're going to look at how can, how does pride, how does pride manifest itself? And the first one we're going to look at is pride manifests itself through, uh, through, how do I word this? Pride manifests itself through uh, one, contempt for uh, God's message and messenger. And here in chapter 43 in verse 2, uh, we'll read verse 1, it came to pass that when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking unto all the people the words of the Lord their God, for which the Lord their God had sent him to them, even all these words, then spake Azariah the son of Hosea, and Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the proud men saying unto Jeremiah, Thou speakest falsely. The Lord our God hath not set, sent thee to say, Go not into Egypt to children, children sojourn there. They were asking whether they should, the remnant that was left was asking whether they should flee down into Egypt or should they stay in the, in the land. And God said, Stay in the land. But what I want you to see here is that when I'm having problems and wanting to do my own deal, that often what comes about is, uh, you know, when the preacher comes to talk to me, as, I, you know, I've been there, done that, and I say, I don't know what his deal is. He must be smoking dope. You know, the Lord leads in my life as much as he leads in her, their life. Yet the Bible says that obey them have rule over thee because they watch for your soul. That he wants the best for you. 
And I find that when there's problems going on and there's uh, differences that, that somehow the authority in my life that my dad has authority in my life, his views were not in the same place of my views, that, that uh, there's confusion, <laughs> but also there's uh, definitely not on the same page spiritually. Now, I'm not saying my dad was always right. I am saying he has authority over me, and many of the things that he said and did, God used uh, to guide me. And if he is wrong, in the end, God showed him that he was wrong. And uh, not many occasions like this I'm speaking of, but sometimes, listen, uh, we can trust the Lord with those in authority over us. We can trust the Lord. God can even turn the lost king's heart. And so, so one of the manifestations of pride is, uh, is to scorn those in authority over us, that God can work through them. Another manifestation of pride is, uh, is uh, wrath, being angry. Look over in Proverbs Proverbs 21:24. I'm wondering, you know, I'm, things are going on, and I said, and Susie says, "Why are you always angry?" Because you're not the person I married. <laughs> no, she's the same person. It's pride. Proverbs 21, 24, proud and haughty scorner is his name who dealeth in proud wrath. That anger is a symbol. I know the Bible says be angry and sin not. There's some things that we should be angry over and about. We should be angry about sin in our nation and weep over it. But a lot of times uh, when I get hot and mad, the problem that's manifesting itself is pride. Look over in Proverbs 13 and verse 10. I can't stand this for you. Every time I get around him, I get in an argument. Every time I see him, it ends in an argument. Proverbs 13, 10. Only by pride cometh contention but with a well-advised is wisdom. What's the problem when we're always arguing? You know, uh, even if you're right, pride can send so much white noise into your heart that, uh, or whatever you want to say, you know, radio noise, that you're not convincing anybody. Pride. Look in Proverbs 28, 25. I wish that somehow we could pull up a chart of our lives 
and analyze that and see how many heartaches and difficulties and problems and disasters had the source of pride behind them. Proverbs 28, 25. He that is proud heart stirreth up strife, but he that put his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. Jeremiah said, The terribleness, thy terribleness hath deceived thee in the pride of thine heart, O thou that dwellest in the cleft of the rock. And Jeremiah 13, let's go back there again to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 13 and verse 15. Jeremiah 13, 15, Jeremiah said, Hear ye and give ear, be not proud, for the Lord has spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God before he cause darkness and before your feet stumble upon the dark mountain. And while you look for light, he turn it into the shadow of death and make it gross darkness. But if you will not hear it, my soul shall weep in secret place for your pride. And my eyes shall weep sore and run down with tears because the Lord's flock is carried away captive. Jeremiah wept because of his people's pride. And so... God has a solution for overcoming problems. And we're particularly kind of focusing on sinful problems today and the result of that. But there has to be an admission that I have a problem. We can't rationalize as Saul or cover it up as David. But we're going to have to be honest with God. Admit we're wrong when we are wrong willing to seek help from God and from others, willing to obey those in authority over us, not rejecting their advice, realizing that when there's contention and strife, that there's pride in my life. And uh, God, you know, it says in our text, that God is faithful, who will not allow us to be tempted above that we are able, but with a way, find, but with it, but, uh, give a way of escape. But here's the deal: there's no escape, or the promise that we can bear it when we're living in pride. God resists the proud. I don't know of anything more sobering to me and terrifying to me than to be right in the midst of problems, a bucket full of snakes, that the waves are about to pound me, go over my head and drive me to the bottom, and to realize that God is resisting me. And it's all because 
of my pride. How, uh, how stupid can we be? If you're here this morning and you have problems, and they're problems generated out of your own decisions, there's a way to have your heart created new. That word again, I've, I've taught in the past, but that word is bara. It's a creation only God can do. I don't care how much self-help books you read, no matter how many new leaves you turn over, only God can create a new heart in you. And only God can restore that joy that you have. If you're here today and you know you've lost your joy, and as you analyze that, the real issue is you've been proud. You're in the driver's seat. And the Lord is wanting to fulfill 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There's no temptation taking you but such a common demand, but God is faithful. He'll not allow you to be tempted above your able, but will make a way of escape. That is not a blank promise to everyone because God cannot remain God and sanction pride. May God help us to realize that grace comes with humility. Great grace. All right? A little bit of preaching here today, but uh, maybe it was all for me. I don't know. You're dismissed. <laughs>